I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Thinking sideways. What am I even looking for? Illogical. The information is not complete. It's a mystery. Short stories of things we simply don't know the answers to. Hey, everybody, and welcome again to the podcast. I am Steve, as always, joined by... Devin... And Joe. And this, if we didn't say... Well, we didn't say it before. Thinking sideways... Wow, I don't even know what show we're doing. Yeah. This is Thinking Sideways, the podcast. You're just trying to talk really fast because it's a short one. That's really what it is. Yeah. Because for any of our listeners, because we're getting lots and lots of new listeners who may not know what we've been doing for a while, we always go into mysteries and we like to have a good hour plus show, but some stories just aren't that long. So sometimes there's ones that we want to give you. That, well, they're going to be a shorty, but we're just going to take them anyway. They're yeah. bonuses, right? They're a little bonus episode. I call them shorts. Joe calls them bonus. Eh, yeah, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Except I make the website post, yeah. so it's a short. So it's a short. <laughs> <laughs> now on to our story. We are going to talk about Shergar, who was born in Ireland in 1978 and theoretically died in 1983. Maybe. Possibly. I that's, mentioned that's an unsolved mystery thing. Well, that's the unsolved mystery part is because, but wait, well, I mentioned Shergar as a horse, right? No, well, everybody knows that. <laughs> I didn't know that. So I'd never. I'm surprised. A horse he was, is a horse, of course. Oops, sorry. Yeah. He was actually uh, a well-known horse, but I'd never heard of him before. Actually, it's because we live in the states. Yeah. If you were in Britain or Ireland, you knew Shergar. Oh yeah, he was. Popular he was like horse. the little Sebastian of the United Kingdom. I would actually say the Sea Biscuit. 
because this horse was huge. And Took over the racing scene, and everybody okay. knew the, the horse's name. Yeah, just, he was a don't... speedy little devil. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's fair. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's for all our folks who don't know who Shergar is. Shergar was the champion racehorse of 1981. It was a very recognizable bay colt. He had a, a, a very unique white blaze on his face. And a, a blaze is, if you see a horse that's got the kind of a white stripe yeah, from their stripe. forehead to their muzzle, yeah. that's a blaze. Very unique shape to it. Mm-hmm. Had four white socks. And I really, I kind of find this endearing, had this weird habit when racing of lolling his tongue out of the side of his mouth. Yeah, kind of like a dog that, out the window. Yeah, that's kind of cute, isn't it? Yeah, it's very yeah. cute. Well, in 1981, Shergar famously won the Derby Stakes, which is a very, very major race in England. And he won it by 10 lengths. Which is uh, quite a huge lead. It is a very huge lead. For our listeners who don't watch horse racing? Me. Okay. A length means the distance of a horse. So you've got horse one. And you've got horse two. And if you can fit a horse between them, that is considered one length. Does that make sense? Yeah. The question I have is, is it it, if horse A is in the lead and horse B is right behind him, so horse B's nose is right about even with horse A's butt. There is that. that, Doesn't that mean that the horse A is ahead by a length? The decimals of a length. It's kind of like, you know, a millimeter. You get into decimals of a millimeter, a right, centimeter. Right, by a nose, right? Right. Then yeah. you, you break it down. But lengths are, if you say a horse is X long, that is one X between horse one and horse two. Very, mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. Okay. Okay. Shergar did it in 10 lengths. That's so that amazing. is 10 That's horses, incredible. which is a massive, massive lead. Yeah. Now, depending on his competition, but I mean, obviously, they, they would have been fairly evenly matched. I, I should have been. It was a pretty even match. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. He was named European Horse of the Year, which they just don't give away. So that tells you right there how good he was. He was a three-year-old horse. He was at the end of his racing career Mm -hmm. because horses race from one to three and then Mm -hmm. they're done. So at that point, they said, well, we're going to turn him into a stud. And Shergar was taken to Bellamy Stud, which is a stud farm in County Kildare, Ireland. He stayed there quite happily, siring offspring for the next year. Mm, Lucky horse. (laughs) Lucky horse. Uh, There's a lot of stud jokes I want to make here, but I'm not going to make any of them. (laughs) I'm just going to give one basic term, which is to mate with a horse, a a male to mate with a female is called covering. He covered 34 mares that year. Wow. Mm -hmm. And with a pretty hefty fee going for every one of those things, too. People were paying up to 80,000 pounds per yeah, coupling. Per, yeah. per coupling. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was say, trying to figure out how to say uh-huh. that. Per I time. was going to say 80,000 80, pounds per try. Per try. Per try. Yeah. Okay, well, here's the thing. 
He went that that's eighty thousand pounds in nineteen eighty two money. Yeah. That's equivalent yeah. of four hundred eighty six thousand pounds today. Ugh. Or three hundred and seventy five thousand US dollars today. Mm. That's incredible. Yeah. That's, that's an incredible amount of money. So that he he was making his owners just money hand over fist. Uh-huh. Now, one bit of information that I do want to get into before we get into the mystery surrounding him is how his ownership was divvied up. Shergar was was owned by Prince uh, Kareem Aga Khan. He, after that 1981 season, decided that he would sell off shares. He wasn't going to sell the horse entirely. He'd just sell shares of the horse. Mm -hmm. For a lot of money. For a lot of money. He sold 34 shares. He kept six for himself. I don't know how this... So I don't know if that means that he sold 28 shares, so there's a total of 30 or, or 34, or if that means that he sold 34 shares... Plus his six to equal 40. Seems like you would do 40. That's what I'm thinking too, yeah. But he was selling the shares for a quarter of a million pound at the time. Bunch of money. Which is a huge. For one four years of a horse. That's that's almost 10 million pounds that he sold that horse for. That's a huge amount of money. Mm -hmm. So again... He if, is just raking in cash, hand over that, fish. I'm assuming, though, that it probably was a good investment because I'm assuming that he would be, he would be, uh, you know, trying to impregnate uh, lots and lots of mares for years to come. And so I'm assuming they'd make a, they'd make their money he back. He would have so. a stud, uh, an effective stud will have a stud career of anywhere from five to fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's worth investing two hundred and fifty thousand in when you know oh, yeah. you're gonna get all that money back in two seasons. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's a great investment. Well, here's what happens with our racehorse. It's at eight thirty at night on the eighth of February, nineteen eighty three. Jim Fitzgerald, he is the head groom of uh Bellamini Stud. He opens the door and he finds three men in balaclavas, which is a ski mask, at the door. They've got guns on him and they say they want him to take him to the horse. He goes ahead. He does it specifically. He takes him right to Shergar because that's so, who they say they want. Were these guys like fans of Shergar? Uh, no, this this was not a fan situation. You don't think so? No, I know for sure it was <laughs> not because they immediately said, we're taking this horse and we want two million pounds to get him back. Yeah. So they were kidnapping. They were horse napping? Horse napping. Horse napping. Uh, yeah, it would be horse napping. You're right. Um, what idiot wrote kidnapping? Mm. Uh, <laughs> when uh, when Fitzgerald got to the stables, there were another five men in masks there. So we've got a total of eight men with guns. Yeah, they load the horse nice up. They put Fitzgerald in another car. Oh, and, and they, they were they were prepared. By the way, they had brought they had brought. Oh yeah, they had a horse trailer. trailer, and they brought a trailer. Yeah, they had a trailer. They they put him in a trailer. It wasn't like they put him in the back of a hatchback or something. No, yeah. they put him in a horse trailer, and they took off. But they put Fitzgerald in a separate car, drove for what the accounts say a few miles, three, four miles, I don't know, before they finally stopped, told him to get out of the car and not to look behind him because they would be there and they would shoot him. And he had to just walk until he got to the next town, which he did. 
Because, well, if a guy with a gun says, go that way and don't look back, I'm going to do that. It's simple logic. Seems fair to me. When Fitzgerald got back home, because he got to the next next town and then got a ride home, he made the appropriate phone calls first to his chain of command, which then lit off a series of phone calls up the chain of command for everybody involved. The weird thing is, though, the cops didn't get called till 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that seems kind of silly. I mean, why not... uh... The first call I would have made was to the freaking cops. Yeah, I think so, too. But that didn't happen. I don't know why. Maybe if you're rich, you employ your own investigative services first. Well, and if you have 20-plus people involved in that ownership situation, I imagine that gets even messier. So it's not like I can say, I own this horse, I know this guy, he'll look into it. Well, you can if you're the major stakeholder. Well, no, no. Aga Khan was the major stakeholder. I think he had had six shares. Yeah, but only six out of 40, so nobody... But nobody else had more shares than him. Yeah, so nobody really had a controlling share. the next highest shareholder had four shares, which, again, was a million pounds, so go figure. Nobody else had more shares than he did. Anyways, so they called the police up for Yeah, they called the police. Uh, The thing was, of course... Shergar was very popular with the public because he was a local horse. He had won this giant race, and everybody knew about it. So the police, it's a very public investigation. The police are trying to do everything possible to cross their T's and dot their I's. They've got to know what's going on. They're trying to turn the area upside down to find the horse. But unfortunately, the area also turned into a media circus. So we've got tons and tons of reporters with cameras and microphones running around. So it did turn into an absolute zoo, no pun intended. Fair enough. And then the cops kind of dropped the ball on the whole thing, although... They did. Uh, and there's some issues with the, the investigation that we'll talk about here briefly once we get into the theory section. Okay. Um, or just before that. But the thing is... What was weird is, of course, I'd said that, you know, all those shares had been sold, so now Shergar's owned by the syndicate. Well, the syndicate couldn't obviously negotiate for his ransom because it's so many people. They would have had to have gotten agreement, I'm sure. Yeah, well, somehow three journalists who were involved in the horse racing scene were selected to be their point contact negotiators. And they were selected by the kidnappers or by the syndicate? I don't have an answer to that. I I could never figure out. I think it was the syndicate, but I don't know for sure. Because it's just kind of, it's a little ephemeral in the way that it's written that I just, I'm not positive. But these three journalists are selected. They are spirited away to the countryside. They're locked up into a building with the cops. So the cops are recording all the conversations. Like, it's a very major deal. But, of course, they, they keep... I think it goes on for three days, if I remember correctly. They're having these phone calls, negotiating for money. Negotiations are going nowhere. On the fourth day, the negotiators, the, the journalists, they get a phone call out of the blue. Like, this is a weird phone call that just says, Shergar's had an accident, and he's dead. And they hang up. And they Jerks. never make contact again. That seems rather rude. Yeah. By the way, I took your horse. 
Hey, sorry you died. He had an accident. Your hamster, I was house-sitting. Right. I mean, like, I that's what that's what it equivalents to me. Yeah, I don't know. It's really weird. But, but to this day, nobody knows, A, if he truly is dead or alive. Because horses live to be, can live to be, you know, 20, 30 years old. Yeah, so technically, be. he could still be alive today. I don't Though think a so. very aged horse. He wouldn't be studying anything. Yeah. Well, he was born in what, 79? 79. 79. Yeah, I guess he could be alive. He yeah. technically could still be alive. There yeah. are some insanely old horses. But we also don't know who took him, which is where things start going kind of... There are some strong suspects. So there are that. some strong suspects. Can um, I ask a question? Yeah. Did he actually successfully sire horses? He did. He did? Okay. He he covered 34 mares that first season. Mm-hmm. One of the mares that he covered uh, birthed a foal who eventually became a champion racehorse of his own. So he was successful in only one or successful in... He many? successfully sired offspring in more than one mare. Okay. Well, not all it's of them just turned out to one be of those... One of those sure. instances created a true champion okay. horse. That's my theory out the window then, so never mind. Okay. Yeah, no, he, he definitely he definitely had what it took. Great. Yeah, uh, I, I, I see it. I think I see where you're going. Somebody stole him just so they could, like, you know. Hide uh, the fact he wasn't that yeah, great. Yeah, part it, of it, the syndicate was like, well, he's not actually making babies, so we'll just, we'll, you know, pretend like he got stolen. You shoot, yeah. Oh, like yeah. if you shoot in blanks the whole time? Yeah. yeah no, but, he, he did. He he definitely created a lineage. Okay, yeah, it. but also they, they um, uh, not all of the, not, not all the members of the syndicate had total, full insurance on, the, on him. Oh, no, we're yeah. going to, yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, the insurance thing is huge, and let's go ahead and talk about that now. We'll talk a little bit more about the syndicate after this, but do you want to talk about the insurance issue? Well, yeah, I think that um, I'm trying to think of what it is now. In, in other words, some of them were covered for, say, loss or death. Yep. Yeah, but the, since, it, since the horse disappeared and they couldn't prove the horse was dead, the insurance companies wouldn't pay. And, and so you know what the, the caveat to that is? What's that? Well, I'm not going to continue to pay for the policy on a horse that I believe is dead. Yeah. So then they stop paying for the policy and therefore the policy expired. Yeah. Uh-huh. So once you reach that expected lifespan of the horse, you would think that they would eventually have to pay out. But all these people are like, do you know how expensive that freaking insurance is? Mm-hmm. It's not like, worth continuing to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's that's why I think that uh, the syndicate wouldn't do away with wouldn't, wouldn't do away with Sugar because no. you know if there if there had been a plan to do that, then everybody would have gotten all gotten their insurance all beefed up. They would have gotten yeah. the right kind of insurance. Well, and yeah, Aga Khan would have would have just rushed right forward, and I'm sure there would have been a you know he would have been the first one at the. Line. But here's the other thing about the syndicate is they actually had, they negotiated with the ransomers, but they never actually intended to come to an agreement and pay. Mm-hmm. Do you know that, why? Yeah, well, they, it's the same reason we have uh, no negotiations with terrorists now. It's because... Yeah. Because if you pay a ransom, or then you're just going to get more of the same. Yep, which meant that every racehorse in the UK, Ireland, Europe, that whole area, they were all suddenly at threat 
to be stolen and ransomed off. And so, I guess I assume that if you own stake in one horse, you probably own stake in a couple horses. Aga Khan. You diversify. Come here, Aga Khan. Yeah. Prince, Prince, uh, he, uh, he loves racing horses. Mm-hmm. He loves them. He didn't just own this one horse. He yeah. owns lots of horses. Yeah. So you so don't want to... Yeah, they just, somebody just says, you know what? I'm just going to pick on that guy's horses. That's a that's huge pool of horses just to go after. So, yeah, of course they're not going to pay. It's a sense, terrible yeah. thing, but of course they're not going to pay. Yeah, can't blame them. Besides which, you know, that you don't have any guarantee you're going to get your horse back anyway. That's And that's that's the worst part. You will not necessarily get your property back. That all having been said, because... You know, this is supposed to be a short, and yet we can't shut up. Theory. <laughs> We're going to go into the theories. Let us do that. Our first theory is that the culprit, all the theories, by the way, they're all who stole the horse. So the first theory is that he was stolen or kidnapped by the IRA. The IRA has been fingered for this by just about everybody out there, including the the syndicate that owned Shergar. He they they came out and made a, a press release saying they were sure that the IRA was responsible for it. And it's uh, there's a little bit of evidence for this too. There is because it, does, it really does seem kind of like their mo. It kind of does seem like their mo. Guns and all that stuff. They they were super active at the time. They were trying. They were always trying to figure out ways to to raise money to buy guns. Guns and munitions, and if you think about it, a two million pound bonus check goes mm-hmm. a long a lot way of, in bullets. Uh, by lots of guns and dynamite. Uh, yeah, it would. They also would have the connections to find those sleepy little farms out in the middle of nowhere, where you could, with a barn that you could just stash a horse. Mm-hmm. They had lots of sympathizers. Lots of sympathizers. But one thing that really kind of keyed people in to think that the IRA was responsible was what happened in the negotiations because they were all done by phone and none of the all but one i should say all but one of the phone calls which there were quite a few lasted less than 90 seconds 90 seconds was the time that was required to trace a phone call your common dumb criminal is probably not likely to know that an organized group that is subversive or, you know, working against the, the law is going to be very aware of that. Unless so, you watch TV, you know. Whether they, but in ni- not at this time. Not at this time was that as known. I mean, we see all this all the time. But I remember in the 80s, it was the Dukes of Hazards and stuff. It wasn't, I got to stay off the phone for this X amount of time to get traced. I mean, and that wasn't, be fair, it doesn't wasn't as prevalent. Them, it doesn't take them 90 seconds anymore. No. In real yeah. life, so. No. Not anymore. No. According to, uh, to what is, uh, it's not CS, there's some other show, it's, it takes 47 seconds or something yeah. stupid. But they knew this, and they would not stay on the phone any longer than that. Okay, fair. And then also, there was, a, there was some IRA guy that wrote a book, right? Sean O'Callaghan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, O'Callaghan, he was, he was the IRA double agent. He, I, I don't know why he became a double agent, but long story short is that he ended up writing a book about his time in the IRA, and one of his chapters is about Shergar. According to his book, he says when he realized that the IRA was not going to get paid, in other words, they were getting jerked around, 
they had to figure out what to do with this horse, and their first in, their first idea was, well, let's just let him go. That's what I would have done. Except because the countryside was such a media circus, and there were people everywhere looking for the horse, they just couldn't turn him loose on a road because their their safe houses were near that. Their their sympathizers were near there. So what ends up happening is some genius uh, decides that what we should do is to hell with it. We should just kill the horse. Oh. I know. And according to O'Callaghan, that ends up what happens. I'm not going to, I'm going to spare you the gruesome details, but I'm just going to say that two men with machine guns go into a stall and then later on, no horse walks out. Yeah. It was what they did with rather the, gruesome. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's despicable. But what Poor happened Shergar. to Shergar's body after that? We don't know. I mean, I uh, it's I, a I lot of hor- that's a lot of material to to, to p- dispose of. Yeah, I know. I, I've heard that there are a lot of large bogs around in that area. So mm-hmm. that seems to be the prevalent thinking is he got pushed into a bog. I can't imagine though that all of him got pushed into the same spot in the bog because horses are 1500 pound animals yeah, and that's wanna, a lot of animal yeah i didn't want to think about that either it's uh, i don't but, either uh, but i'm yeah. saying that he probably got deposited in several locations if this theory is correct quite possible um but you know what let's let's move on to something that is weird but much happier which is uh general gaddafi you mean Colonel Gaddafi? Oh, well, is it Colonel or General? I th- I've seen colonel. him called both. Uh, no, I don't think he ever raised his rank beyond Colonel. Interesting. An interesting... The internet called him General. That's why well, I was asking. Well, an interesting factoid about Gaddafi is that his childhood hero was, was Colonel Gamal Abdel Nasser of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And he really deeply admired him, and he modeled him. So when, when he staged this coup along with his fellow officers, I believe he was a captain in the Libyan Air Force. Okay. And so uh, when he became in charge, he immediately bumped his rank to colonel. Because <laughs> that, was, that was Gamal Abdel Nasser's rank. Got it. And, that, and he, as far as I know, he kept it at colonel the rest of his life. Well, as long as he had a military title, that is. Okay. Well, yeah. all I know is I've seen him called General Gaddafi, but let's let's explain. He might have eventually promoted himself. I don't let's know. Let's explain but... here. If you don't know who Gaddafi is, which some people or don't, was was oh yeah, that's right, it was yeah, it was he was uh, as Joe talked about, he had a coup. He then became the leader leader in Libya. He also, uh, he had a thing for racehorses. You know, he actually, loved racehorses. You know, I mean, that, uh, that kind of stuff is really popular in the Middle East. It is. Ra- horse racing is a big thing. Yeah, a lot of Arabs are crazy about horses. Yeah. It's not, well, uh, not at all unusual. Yeah, no, it's not at all. But according to this theory, what happens is he brokers a deal. This kind of ties in with the last one. He brokers a deal with the IRA says that horse is awesome and I want that horse. Yeah. The IRA then goes in and steals the horse for him in exchange for either A money or B munitions. Yeah. I'm sure that he would have had all kinds of cool hardware to give him. He would have had hardware. Now you know I how they get that horse out of the country, I don't know. They but wouldn't it, have to put him on a ship. You're not gonna put him on a plane, right? You can, but you probably can. not. But, but here's the thing also what what is it that they call it? They the early '80s were called. I think they call them the tough time or the rough time, 
where things were not good. And it Are you was talking e- about in Ireland? In Ireland. And it was easy to bribe. And it's a pretty creative name. I know. But everything that I've read about that, whether it was in relation to the story or not, mm-hmm. it, they use that name. Sure. So yeah. people had to do what they had to do. So I can see it being pretty easy to pay off some guy at the port. Yeah. And get a horse on a and boat. And it's not like there's not a lot of boats in Ireland. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are a lot of boats. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've got to say, of, of the theories, I, I hope this one actually is a true one. Because, you know, Shergar went to Libya. I'm sure Qaddafi took really good care of him. I'm sure he got lots of apples and yeah. pets and brushings and all of that. Yeah. Well, the, the, the bit of this theory that actually could possibly have some uh, some truth to it is if you think about, well, wait a minute. They've got to take a horse trailer and they've got to get it to a shipping port. And everybody knows that the horse is missing. So there's going to be this giant search. Except whoever did this was smart enough to take the horse the night before uh, Goff's racehorse sale, which is a major racehorse sale. So smart, there move. are there are vehicles hauling trailers with horses in them running all over the place. Where, uh, where by the way, uh, was Goff's auction at? Uh, you know, that's a very good question, and I didn't even think to look. I read all about Goffs, yeah, was that it? but I didn't think about to look exactly where it was in relation to the stud farm. It didn't happen to have, like, a location in, in or near a seaport? Uh, you know, again, I, I didn't even think to look at it, but all I know is that it caused tons and tons of horse trailer traffic yeah. around the area. Rather clever on Which would disguise their movements. Yeah. So that's interesting, you know, because... Um, would your average Irishman know about Goffs, or would that be something that horse owners and, and horse traders would know about? Goffs has, from what I can tell, they have a lot of auctions, and it looks like they have about three or four horse auctions a year. There's a racehorse, there's a mare auction, like there's a bunch of big horse auctions. So they're they're pretty well known if you have any interaction with the horse community. I don't think that it's a once a year thing that if you weren't in the know, you would have no idea about, especially if you were somewhere in, in that area. Cause I may be wrong, but I, I got the impression that it was at least in County Kildare, but I could be completely off on that. Goss was in Kildare. I, I got the impression of that, but I could be completely wrong, but let's not speculate anymore on that. Let's move into our final theory. Cause again, this is a short, we've only got a couple of short theories and this one is the funniest theory. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. This is that the new Orleans mafia took the horse. That yeah. makes sense. Was it for a head? <laughs> no, is that not a thing. Is is this is that a Godfather joke? Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, the the basic idea is this one is the 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 background on it's similar to the Gaddafi one, but the idea is that at some point the the mafia had a horse deal with Aga Khan and that deal went sour and so in retribution they stole his favorite horse his his big money horse and did what with it took it i mean took it and did what with it 
I don't care. They don't care. They took it. I, it could be in a petting zoo at this point. I don't know, Joe. It's just the, the theory doesn't go any farther than that. That's all there is to that particular theory is that they said, hey, you screwed us on this deal. We're going to screw you. We took your horse. Well, so did the evening with guns that, that stole Shergar, did they have Cajun accents? Not that I know of. Okay. Well, There's so, much, so much for that theory. Yeah, uh, I don't know how many guys they, in balaclava. I mean, they guys in balaclavas, some. but nothing about their accents showed up, which makes me think they had local dialect accents. They probably they they might have hired some some locals to do local thugs. Yeah, so but what, so but what, that's all we've got on on this particular one. So, which theory do you guys like? Uh, I I prefer the Gaddafi theory. I like too. that one too, uh, yeah. because that means that he was happily being a horse. This might be the very first time we've ever had consensus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it well, takes a it, it, it takes a nice animal to do it. Yeah. yeah. Now, which one do you think is most likely? The first one. I know. Me too. That Sadly, sucks. I still think Gaddafi. Okay. Well, if you want to learn more about this particular episode's details, you can look those up on our website. ThinkingSidewaysPodcast.com. Leave comments. Like I said, the links are going to be there, and all other episodes are on the website. Uh, a lot of folks listen to us through iTunes. If you're there, leave a comment and a rating. We are, of course, on Twitter, Thinking Sideways. We have our email address, which is Thinking Sideways at Thinking Sideways Podcast. That's better. Yeah, obviously I didn't need the cheat sheet Joe tried to give me earlier. Thinking Sideways Podcast at gmail.com. So if you've got thoughts, story suggestions, concerns, send us all of that at that email address. We also, of course, are on Patreon at Patreon slash Thinking Sideways. Yeah, so all the, the details, yeah. yeah, all the details about Patreon. What's that? Pledge a nickel an episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so that's all the details about how Patreon works and how it works for the show are directly there. And, of course, there's a link to that on our website. Mm. I think I've got all of it there, guys. Did I miss something? Uh, all right. I don't think so. Well, this was not the shortest short ever, but we are going to go ahead and wrap this one up, and we will talk to you again real soon. Ta-ta, everybody. Bye, guys.